Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 49 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Today's episode brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth levels all the way to the pros. When we say in-game decisions, in a lot of ways we're talking about swing decisions for hitters, which you could argue is the most important thing as far as hitting a baseball is concerned. So uh, just a lot of good stuff there. The the thing you want to inquire about with the guys and gals at S2 is assessments. Get an assessment of where you stand regarding swing decisions. And then once you know where you are, you can do something about it. You can improve. And and certainly it's something you can market too. You know, like uh, if I'm a, a college program or a pro team uh, and I'm recruiting or drafting, I want to know what kind of swing decisions these, these players are making. So anyway, um, I am joined by the great Joe Healy, another great swing decision maker, uh, and the great Kendall J. Rogers. Uh, gentlemen, how, how are we doing? Good to see you. Uh, good to see you. You know, I heard a rumor out there from Martha that uh, Aaron is actually not here today because he's doing an S2 cognition test. <laughs> he's. Do they do those in Iceland, the land yes. of ice? No, uh, probably not. But I don't think they have a big, uh, big imprint on the Icelandic population. Joe, is, did you, did you, and the great Mrs. Healy send the Fitz to Iceland as like a a pre Healy Iceland tour? like uh scouting deal or yeah, it's, are the fits your scouting directors yeah it's an advanced scout for sure uh, a lot of good pictures up on the uh the, the fit family social media accounts this week as kind of just a, a something to look forward to but yeah we're, we're basically trading places i think we're on the i don't know if we're on the same flight home but we're definitely we're on the same flight out there so yeah we're, we're just gonna switch you know and you, you want to get a feel for the place and experience travelers that aaron and virginia fit are you know those are the types of people you want out there before you because they they know what to look for and what to avoid and they can pass that recon along by, by the way, that is one of the more interesting things in the in the world is looking and seeing where Aaron's wife is at a given time. Mm, because mm-hmm. like nobody goes to more random places than she does. Like they're cool places, but like you know if you if you follow her on Facebook, it's like wait, what is she doing here? Yeah, you know, Iceland like, not eccentric the- at all for her. Yeah. Like Iceland is like her. That's, that's like pretty her vanilla. fastball down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Six it. hour flight, direct flight. Cool. You know. I mean, he must have been really looking forward to this trip because he actually cut his hair. Mm, that's true and it yeah. looks great fitzy if you're listening if you ever if listen to this far, well it, but i think it looks great and it certainly looks better like we were if if i could get critical i like for a mine moment, better it, personally me it, amen <laughs> but you know not everyone can pull that off kr some guys yeah, have to hide hard. behind really a, big, a big head of hair um it was getting out of control for fitzy though for being for calling a fish a fish it was getting a little nutty do you think we could have used the hair that Aaron cut off his head to make three individual toupees for the three of us. <laughs> like, there might have been enough hair involved there. Honestly. Oh, do you guys well, know my yeah. high school football coach had a at a, a he was he's a legend. He's passed away. Uh Gamp Pellegrini. Gasperi Gamp Pellegrini. Um all time uh wins leader in the history of the city of Philadelphia. Even though we were in the suburbs, we were a private school considered a uh in the city leagues. And Gamp, he Gamp goes back so far back that the Delaware wing T he actually was the first quarterback to run the Delaware wing T at the university of Delaware. Like it was, he was the quarterback. Anyway, Gamp had an awful toupee and um, he had a deal where if you, if we went undefeated, he would take the toupee off for the teams. 
So my senior year went nine and one, unfortunately. So oh man. So Dang not it, only did he, not only did he have a toupee, but he acknowledged said toupee. I feel like that's a little bit of a faux pas, right? The whole idea of having a toupee is to try to trick people into thinking that you have real hair. Telling people it's a toupee, I almost feel like defeats yeah. the purpose of having I, it. I feel like Kurt Reed has a toupee. That could Maybe. be. I, that's a great point. I I'm picturing Kurt Reed with a toupee, actually. If that, if we're being honest, so it's a fair point, Joe. But but this is back in the time when there was no um, no social media, so maybe it wasn't that. You know what, what's a what's a little transparency among friends. I will yeah. tell you guys this: when we watched film in the Malvern Prep Library, um, you know, like you'd watch game film. Gamp would have his heaters going. He'd have his cigarettes going, and so you'd see the. It was an old school projector and the cigarette smoke. And I never really thought to thought about is are we even allowed to smoke in the Malvern Prep Library? But I guess Gamp was there's a different set of rules for Gamp. I yeah, suppose there's an exception for sure. Yes. So all right, boys, let's get to some college baseball. You just you know this, this is two weeks in a row that you're you're imparting joy upon my soul making me think of the great Camp Pellegrini. Gosh, those were good times. Um, so the, the three topics I have for us is, hey, Ben Greenspan uh, is named the head coach at Northwestern. Braden Montgomery made a decision. He's transferring from Stanford to A&M. And then uh, Jay Johnson, and uh, L- he had his LSU me- fall media scrum, I think is the term, this week. And boy, that was chock full of interesting topics. So, Joe, is that correct? Media scrum? Me- can we call it a media fracas? What are we calling it? Yeah, I mean, a, a scrum is more of a technical term. Like that's a real, a real term. But uh, you know, sometimes those media availabilities do uh, advance the level of fracas. Um, yeah. Shout out to, uh, well, departing LSU beat writer Leah Van, who uh, might be listening. Shout out, hi Leah. Hope packing is going well. Um, you know, Wait, in the fall, with brought... somewhere in Texas, uh, T- TBD, TBD. Oh. Um, officially anyway but uh so leaving the advocate but anyway she she created what i would say was a fracas in the fall when she uh showed up you know she was coming from an appointment and showed up a little late to a brian kelly media availability oh, yeah, and right. you know uh needled him a little bit and suggested he could win some more games and maybe she'd show up on time which i thought was was funny and and good for her for you know giving it back a little bit to a, a coach when normally that's a a little bit of a one-way street so that would be a fracas. I think generally scrums or just calling them availabilities, I think is um, yeah the, the general way to refer to them. I'm just looking for ways to get the word fracas in, in my life. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, let's do this boy. So, okay. Northwestern. I don't even know how to say this nicely. Like it's been really messy at that school for kind of a while, right? Like ever since Jimmy Phillips left Northwestern as their athletic director to go to the ACC. I mean, they, tried to appoint a new athletic director that didn't take the obviously their situation with football is not going well and you know baseball you know Spencer Allen had resigned and then Jim Foster and you know now they've relieved Jim Foster of his duties and, and I apologize if I mess up some of the terminology I mean I think this part I feel comfortable saying that's indisputable. Like everyone is suing everyone at Northwestern, like former players are suing the school, former coaches. I mean, it's, it's a mess. And so now they've hired Ben Greenspan, who I I think is one of the most talented coaches we have in college baseball recruited Omaha caliber rosters at Indiana, Arizona state. Um, I, I think very, very highly of Ben. I think this is an absolute steal of the century for Northwestern. Um, I think for Ben, the question becomes, is this is this a great move for Ben? It could be. I mean, Northwestern is a phenomenal institution. I just worry about the toxicity of the athletic department right now. But yeah. let's let's chop this up, boys. And Kendall, you go first. What, what, what's your when you saw this? What's your take on it? Uh, my take is what has Ben doing? Uh, you know, I, I've I think it's ben a fair forever. perspective, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, like I'm not trying to be rude, but like, uh, you know, from Ben Greenspan's perspective, like he's a guy, like you said. Um, he's been a part of some really good staffs. He's been under some some really good coaches. Obviously, he was under Tracy for a very long time. Still, well, still was under Tracy at Michigan. Um, he's considered an excellent recruiter. Everybody loves him, and that's probably that's probably like part of the allure for Northwestern is when you have the the Fitzgerald, uh, Fitzgerald situation, you have the Jim Foster situation where former students former assistants are suing him. He's suing the school. He probably wound up suing them those assistants too for suing him. Like when you have that kind of situation, it makes total sense 
why you would go get a Ben Greenspan because I mean, I guess after the Brad Bohannon situation, I never say everybody like, you know, he's definitely squeaky clean, but like he's just about as squeaky clean as you're going to get in our sport. So I, I get that. And he certainly has a resume to warrant that. I just think from Ben's standpoint, I think he's a guy that, you know, once Michigan gets things kind of figured out there with Tracy, like I think he can get a really good job. And I don't think Northwestern's a very good job. And I think Northwestern's a really challenging job because uh, in addition to the just the tumultuous nature of that athletic department, that has ramifications on the recruiting trail. Northwestern is already a tough place to recruit to for baseball mm-hmm. because you have to meet certain academic requirements. Um, and, and now you throw that on top of it. That's an extremely difficult job. And I think it's extremely difficult as well for Ben to go out. And we'll see what the complexion of his staff looks like. But like, I think that's a really tough job to go, hey, man, c- come join me at Northwestern. Like, what a great place. I mean, right now, it looks like far from a great place. And so I just think it's a really difficult job. Uh, I Like, I admire the, the fact that he's willing to take it head on. But I think it's a tough job, and I think he could have probably waited and got a much better job. But, again, I mean, it, it, you know, coaches, you can look at Ben's situation and go, he's been at Arizona State, Indiana, Cal Poly, Michigan – Maybe from his standpoint, it's time that I become a head coach. Like I've been to four different D1 jobs. Yeah. Joe, Joe, I'm going to, I have some thoughts on like, and if I'm trying to put a positive spin on it for Ben, like what are the things that he would like you, but you tell me before I do that and you may lean some of that way too, but what, what, when you look at Ben making a choice like this, I think we all agree. This is like the no brainer of the century for Northwestern, Northwestern. What's your take at it from Ben's perspective, Joe? Well, I think Kendall started to hit on what I think about with stuff like this at the end there, where it's like, you know, we, we can't be in the business of telling a guy what he should or shouldn't do. There's family mm-hmm. considerations. There's to Kendall's point, like, Hey, I want to be a, I, I just want to be a head coach. Like, I think I'm ready. I'm going to bet on myself. Well, we see that kind of stuff happen all the time with what looks like odd fits in, in coaching all the time. But again, we don't, you know, we don't know all the decision making factors at play. Maybe, you know, you guys, you know, you guys know Ben well. I mean, maybe someday, you know, he'll he'll kind of spill that to you. Maybe there's something we're not thinking about, right? I'm not as pessimistic about Northwestern as you guys are. Now, I'm every bit as pessimistic for 2024. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. I, I don't expect him to be good. It is a mess right now. But I see all the issues that Northwestern is having, of which I will acknowledge it is messy. It is not a great place right now in the athletic department. Um, and their football team might be like, holy crap, bad (laughs) this year. I mean, it's scorched earth bad. Yeah. Um, I see those as like a year problems or maybe two years from now problems. But if Northwestern is still dealing with these things three, four years down the road, like let's have a different conversation, but I can't anticipate that. Right. Like Ben is looking at this. I assume from the standpoint of like, Hey, I'm going to give this a go for, you know, four or five years. And if I have success, maybe longer than that. But he, I seriously doubt he's looking at this as like, let me shepherd this program through this tumultuous time and then move on and do something else. And so I think if he can get through these couple of years where it's, it's going to be kind of messy, I do think there is some upside here. Now, in a, in a conference now that is adding USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, in addition to the fact that Michigan is, is starting to roll, Indiana has continued to be a player there. There's just a lot of competitiveness in the Big Ten, Maryland, Rutgers, of course. Um, so the league is, is more difficult than it has been. But I look at a program with, like, frankly, a facility better than they deserve from a result standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they've got the facility part done, basically. Um, and look, Chicago doesn't, the Chicago land area doesn't produce as many baseball players as you would think, given the population but you'd rather be working from that as a recruiting base than you would a lot of other places in the Midwest. Um, look at the rosters of Louisville, Vanderbilt, all those schools that, you know, uh, you know, recruit all those schools from kind of the, the, that bridge between the Midwest and the South do a lot of recruiting in Chicago. Now, can you build an entire team out of that? I don't know, but there's players there. I, I think you'd rather be there than, than not. Um, and I'm I, again, I'm, I'll acknowledge the challenges. Academics tough. Uh, playing mm-hmm. in the weather, the wind coming off that lake at games at Northwestern in, in March and April, not great. You're never going to change the weather there. Um, so there are, there are challenges, but I don't see it necessarily as this like bottomless pit of despair situation. Um, I'm always, I'm going to have a hard time betting on him to have big picture success here. Cause I think pretty highly of Spencer Allen. 
And, you know, we saw what he did there, made some strides, but couldn't quite get them over the hump ultimately. Um, maybe that's what we're looking at here with Ben Greenspan, but, but I don't, I don't necessarily see it as just a complete black hole. Yeah. I would say too, like if you're Ben's agent, I would be saying to Ben, like, Hey, this place need, even though you're excited to take this job, this place needs you more than you need them. You know? And so like, whether you want a seven year contract or, you know, like you got to decide what you want, but I think, you know, it's, it's a, I, I think everything you guys both said is spot on. Like this is a huge risk for Ben's career because it's a very difficult place to win. And, you know, like this is a terrible analogy, but uh, one of my friends growing up, Patrick Chambers became the coach at Penn state right before all the Jerry Sandusky stuff emerged. And, you know, like Penn state kind of went into a hole for several years. Like it just became a really uh, you know, I don't know what the word is, toxic place. And this stuff is not like that, but it's not that dissimilar. Like there's just all this angst. And, but, you know, that said, you're in one of the two conferences that exist in college sports right now. Like it's the Big Ten and the SEC. The football program, even though I'm with you, Joe, I'm really worried about it. Like they're building this gorgeous facility. Ben's got a young family. Chicagoland would be a really cool place, in my opinion, to raise a family. Um, you know, again, like you said, Joe, we don't know what's important to coaches and what's not. I, you know, there in, I would hope there will be very little pressure to win if you're Ben in the short term, but I think, you know, it's going to be really hard to win too. You know, like I, I think that's, um, before all this stuff happened, it was really hard to win at Northwestern. So, um, but I think it's interesting because we think so highly of Ben, you know, I think that's what really, what makes this interesting is. I just think he's super talented and, and an awesome dude. Yeah, I mean, from Northwestern's perspective, for, for being Greenspan in year one and year two, it's like, hey, don't get us sued. I mean, seriously, right. that's like that's like the that's like the measuring stick. Like, hey, just get us in a position to where players aren't turning in the head coach for doing alleged things, and you know, coaches aren't you know suing the current head coach. So, I, I think if if he can keep that program clean and kind of get them headed the right direction in the clubhouse and in terms of the culture, I think that's kind of step one for those guys. And he's certainly a guy that I believe strongly that will, uh, will change that culture in a good way. Yeah. I think that some of that goes into the psychology, I think here too. Like I am someone, I think we all have psychologies about how we view work and our, our, our careers, income, our living situations. And, and I know this about myself. I'm someone who I value comfort. You know, um, I, I'm someone who tends to be not as much of a risk taker. Like, I, you know, I say all that to say, if you're Ben Greenspan, you also have to think like, look, everything we said is, is true about the bar being low. Okay. So if you get this team to regionals once, <laughs> you know, like people are going to roll the red carpet out for you. You can get not any job you want, but it, it, lots of them. Right. The other thing is if it doesn't work out great, if you're not getting what you need from Northwestern three, four, whatever years down the road, we're going to assume Tracy Smith still has it rolling at Michigan. Like, are you saying Tracy Smith's not going to say, Hey, you know what? Come on back, come back home, you know, or frankly, he has enough history at Indiana at Michigan um, to say nothing of his time at Arizona state that like he's a guy who's going to have a soft landing, right? If he wants to restart his career, this isn't a guy where this is like the last train out of the depot. I think he's young enough. He's successful enough. Like, to me, this is almost the time in his career where it's like, let's take a chance. I've been an assistant for a while, but I'm also not 65 years old. Like, let's take a chance and let it rip. And if it works, that's going to be great because <laughs> yeah, I'll be celebrated at Northwestern. And if it doesn't, like, yeah, I'm going to have options. And I think if I were in his shoes, I think that's that's why I started with, that with my preamble about me. If I were in his shoes, I think that's the way I would think about it. Yeah, all fair. It's going to be interesting. Hey, let's move on to Braden Montgomery. So he is leaving Stanford. And um, he's going, he is committed to Texas A&M, you know, so this is a unique one in a million different ways. I mean, Brandon, uh, Braden Montgomery was a Mississippi kid who went to Stanford, you know, so that's strange or, or not strange, but that's unique. And then his two years at Stanford were glorious, right? Like he's basically an all American player for two years. He's never had a season, not end in Omaha. He's had teammates who are first round picks. I mean, Stanford is rolling. They're the only program in the country that have gone to Omaha three straight years, but you know, 
and obviously the academics of Stanford are in play here. It's a world-class education, uh, unlike any other. And so he goes in the transfer portal. That was a little jarring. Um, and so now he's going to settle on A&M. You know, he's the most coveted recruit, I, I would argue, this summer. I don't know. Luke Holman, Chase Burns. They're, 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 you know, it's that, that's, the, that's the tier we're talking about here. Um, here's, I want to I talk about what Braden Montgomery, how he fits at A&M. But I will say this. One of the challenges we have in college baseball right now, in my opinion, the transfer portal, you know, there's that window where kids get 45 days to enter the portal. And it starts, if I understand it correctly, when the season ends. And that's not great. Kendall, does it start when their season ends or when our season ends? You're muted, by the way. It starts the day after the selection show. Okay, so the problem is that's almost 45 days from the draft, which is really the, yeah. the the big catalyst for whether someone would go in the portal or not. So anyway, that window is too long for not just coaches, but for teammates to be waiting and seeing, you know, what's going to happen. And then, you know, Braden Montgomery's one took a long time. I mean, he like he decided like last week. And so I just. I, I wish this whole transfer thing, I'm not saying it should go away or anything like that. Yeah. Don't mishear that. But I just, I wish we could make it tighter. To me, that's way too long to have coaches and teammates and everyone on pins and needles. But yeah, Kendall, you go first. Take this Braden Montgomery thing anywhere you want. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me when I look at the Montgomery transfer is, is what it means for college baseball moving forward. I think what it means is that the West Coast schools – they're going to have to make some adjustments. Uh, you know, I think if you look at mid-majors around the country, particularly in the southern part of the country, uh, they made a conscious effort to, you know, at least try to take care of their, their you know, their stud players. I, I kind of think about – I'm going to invoke, uh, you know, Joe's alma mater, Sam Houston here. You know, they had a couple of guys, and you know, Walker Yannick and, and uh, you know, whatnot, that could have very easily gone in the portal, right? Could have gone anywhere. They could have gone could, – Yannick could have gone to LSU – could have gone to you know a and places like that he decided to stay put at sam houston state and for the west coast schools they're going to have to do that they're going to do what the same houston's of the world are doing and make sure you keep at least your star players you know in your program and so i just think you know mississippi state fans are giving me a hard time like well you're not saying it's you know this is bad for stanford now that he's not going to mississippi state no i think it's still bad for stanford i think it's still bad for west coast college baseball when your prize player literally views the sec is like i've got to do this i've got to go to the to you know the early the the al east of the early 2000s and in, in the sec over stanford and over that stanford education that's a big deal i mean and that's not to say that like a&m is you know is you know academically is bad i mean a&m's a top what 50 40 public school in the country but it's also not Stanford. So I think it's a bad, it's a bad look and a bad development for West coast baseball, but it also kind of, kind of takes you to the other side of the lens of like how kids are viewing the, the Southeastern conference in the NIL era. Like they all want to be there. And so uh, I feel like it, I thought as, as a whole is, is very illuminating his decision to, to go to the sec. And I think a lot of people kind of assumed he was going to Mississippi state uh, I, I think the uncertainty in Mississippi State had a lot to do with him not going there. Uh, I think when you look at a situation where Chris Lamonis, you know, goes into next year, and and whether you think it's you know fair or not, their fans think that he should be one hundred percent be on the hot seat, which I kind of get it. I mean, the last two years have not been very good for State, and so I think you know the pressure of going there and essentially being the person that people are you know pinpointing as saving you know Lamonis's job. I don't think he wanted a part of that. And so I think what he did is he did, he went through all of his options, chose an SEC school in the state of Texas, close to, you know, his hitting person, close to, uh, you know, he's got he's got a friend that goes to the University of Texas that he's close with that, uh, you know, he's now, you know, closer to than being at Stanford. So A&M made sense for him. At the end of the day, though, guys, I, I just – I don't see any way this is a good development for West Coast College baseball. Yep. Hey, Joe, uh, any comments there? And then I'm curious, like, the, the Braden, where does Braden Montgomery fit into A&M's roster? I mean, obviously he's a star, but does he play center, right? Does he pitch? Go ahead. I, I, think, he, I think he's probably looking at right field because I, I think one of the big takeaways from the summer was, and I wrote about this for SEC Extra. There's Ooh, a little plug for you. Um, Jace LaViolette 
I think is probably going to go out in center field or at least have a shot for it. I talked to Larry Lee, the manager of the collegiate national team. And he was like, honestly, we, we just stuck him in right field initially. And then we just watched him run around out there and we're like, Hey, this guy's a center fielder. And so they slid him over and thought, and they thought he did great there. So, and Jay Laviolette himself says, Hey, I'm, I'm more comfortable in center field. Like yeah. I, he has the personality of a center fielder, right? As a center fielder, you go after every ball. And if you can get it, you call off like that's kind of the, he wants to be the captain of the outfield, if you will. So I think when you come when you look at what he brings to the table and then the fact that Braden Montgomery can give you whatever it is, a 70 grade arm in right field. I, I just think you look at basically, hey, this is great. We have two two center field quality athletes in the outfield and center field and right field. And that a couple of things that helps a couple of things. One is that obviously they're going to get pretty much anything hit to the right side in the outfield but also it probably allows AM to play an offensive minded left fielder, right? You can hide somebody a little bit more because you can shade Laviolette that way. There's a lot of knock on effects that come because of, of having that type of athleticism in the outfield. So, I, you know, we'll see, but if I were in their shoes, I would be looking at Laviolette in, in center field, Braden Montgomery in right field. And, you know, well, yeah. I think they'll probably try to put him on the mound a little bit, but that's the thing where it's like, you just give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, you just back away and just let him hit. Like, I don't think you need to, you know, I don't think you need to try to just shoehorn him on the mound if it's really not working, but his arm is too good not to at least give it a shot. Yeah. That'll be the interesting thing for me is I think a lot of people were talking about, you know, this, this whole thing. Oh, he's going to A&M because they're promising him a starting spot. Uh, I can guarantee you they're not promising him a starting spot on the mound. Um, I, I think as a pitcher, there's no doubt that we all agree. That's a huge arm. I mean, he's up to 97, 98 with his fastball last year. But in terms of the overall repertoire, uh, it's going to have to get a lot better to have success in the SEC. So I, I think uh, I'm with Joe. I think they'll obviously try him on the mound, more than likely to start as a reliever this fall, maybe go in the spring that way. And, you know, maybe he's in a position where he can kind of earn a starting spot. But I, I don't see uh, – I think being a reliever is the starting point with the potential of if he just blows everything away, maybe he can move that rotation. But to me, it's, it's a hitter, position player first, uh, pitcher second. Yeah, it's interesting just talking to a, a coach on the West Coast recently. It's, you know, everything you said, Kendall, I think, you know, coaches are quick movers, right? They're quick adapters. And I think just like a business, if a, if a person in a business situation has a good year, um, a productive year, they get a raise or maybe a little bit more of a raise because you're trying to make sure that person feels that you value them. I think college baseball coaches are doing that now where you're, you know, your players that people would want to pick off as transfers are pretty obvious. And I think coaches, particularly on the West Coast, because that's what we're talking about, are giving those kids maybe raises in their scholarships more than, you know, five years ago, you would wait for the player to bring it up. You wouldn't bring it up. Now coaches are proactively doing that. But the, the point this coach made that really struck me was he said, there's another problem with this in that. Hey, Braden Montgomery leaves Stanford. Stanford's still, you know, Braden Montgomery's still a star player who's an amazing kid by all accounts. And Stanford's still an amazing college baseball program. It's still the education, the weather, blah, blah, blah. But here's the here's the concern from a coaching perspective. Now, you know, Braden Montgomery or, or whoever the transfer is, they're still friends with all the kids on your roster. And they're still text messaging. And, you know, like now you've got, the kid that transferred your program in this other program with more resources, just flooding your players, <laughs> you know, phones with those pictures and those accolades. And that's not comforting. So I guess it kind of kicks back to your, your, pre, your, your previous point, Kendall, where it, it's going to force those schools to up their game. But what if they can't, like, what if they can't keep up? Like that's a, that's a major concern, I think in a lot of ways. Well, the biggest thing, the, the biggest kind of concern I have for Stanford is it sounds like they don't really have much of an NL program at all for baseball. And I mean, I, I get it. It's a prestigious degree. It's one of the probably top three or four degrees you can get in the United States and probably the world. But I mean, times have changed and like, yeah, the degree is great. But if, you know, if you're a star set of baseball player, you're a star set of football player and NIL is, you know, abundant in some of these other leagues, particularly the SEC, that still matters. And you've got to, you've got to adjust with the times, you know, we're, we're no longer in a situation where, Oh, well, the degree, the, the, the degree is your NIL deal. Like, no, it's not actually. So, yeah. 
Well, it depends on the family, right? Like, I think that's yeah. the part, like, like for some families, you know, like I would look at, you know, like the NIL money, if Braden Montgomery wants to get that degree, he probably will end up spending the NIL money to go get that degree unless some pro team puts it in there for him. But Hey, like to your point, kind of like some people were going to value that degree. Some people are going to say, Hey, like I, I hear plenty of people in, in the world now saying that your undergrad degree is not as important as your graduate level degree, or, you know, like yeah. who knows, like you can look rational people can look at all these things through completely different lenses. I personally look it, look at it through the lens of, like, man, if, if a relative of mine's got a chance at a Stanford degree, like all bets are off. But hey, I'm one I'm the same way. person. Yeah. So I'm the but, same way. I'm kind of, you know, I'm one of those people. I mean, kind of like Joe, I grew up in the state of Texas. Obviously, you know, AM and Texas are a big deal. And like, a, you know, it makes a lot of sense for my kids, my two kids, to stay in state. But I've always said, like, you know, if you have a chance to go to, you know, Harvard or Stanford, like, you need to go do it. Like it's a once in a lifetime, once in a lifetime opportunity, but this kind of goes to show you that not everybody thinks that way. Yeah, and that's not I, necessarily wrong. Like no, that's right. there's nothing wrong with that viewpoint. It's just kind of what reality is now. For some yeah, it's, people. it's, it's things that coaches have to continue to identify in recruiting. So, Hey, let's, let's get, um, let's, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we will, uh, it's like LSU's media scrum this week has kicked off fall ball officially in my brain. So uh, we'll take a quick break and then we will unpack that. Hey everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we're back. Uh, Chris Jannar, if you're listening, we took the break at the 30 uh, minute and 18 second mark. Of course, that's not going to help you, but I am going to write that down. Try to be a pro here. All right. So, boys, I watched the uh, LSU fall media kickoff. It was awesome. I mean, their SID, Bill Franks, is he introduced it and he's like. You know, who's the boxing announcer? Is it Michael Buffer or something like that? Yeah, Michael Buffer. That's exactly yeah, like that's what Bill Franks was playing the role of Michael Buffer, you know, like <laughs> kicking it off. It was awesome. I mean, yeah, Bill is amazing. And so there, there was there were several topics. So they it was they formally introduced Nate Yeski as the pitching coach. They formally introduced Terry Rooney as some really long title that I'm going to shrink to. He's LSU scouting director. That's really what it feels like. Um, director you know, of credibility, maybe? Yeah, no, that's David Cipher. There's only one of those. <laughs> um, you know, Jay Johnson got to talk about um, how t- you know, like their their incoming classes, both transfer and freshmen, are uber talented. I mean they they lost one recruit to the draft. One. That is it. I mean that is crazy when you think about the caliber of the classes that LSU is recruiting. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they put out their fall roster, which I very much appreciate. They've got 46 guys on the roster. Let, let me, I'm going to start in reverse order. Jay said something that was really fascinating in this presser, and he did not say it in a disrespectful way. He said this. He said, you know, we're in a league like the SEC that is running laps around the, college, the rest of college baseball. I mean, you can go back and listen to that, but that was the expression, running laps around the rest of the sport. And I got to tell you guys, that was really hard on my ears for two reasons. It was hard on my ears because it's true. And it was hard on my ears because Jay Johnson is not some guy that grew up in, you know, Baton Rouge and like Jay Johnson is not an sec lifer. Like part of him making that comment is, is a recruiting pitch indirectly, right? Like that, that makes sense. But part of it, like deep down almost has to hurt Jay Johnson's feelings as a West coast guy to say that. So anyway, um, you guys can take this anywhere you want, but that that comment really, I like, I I may have lost a little sleep over that comment, you know. And and again, like, I didn't sense Jay making it like in a, in a talk trashy way. Like, it was very genuine, and I don't know how you dispute it right now. So, Joe, why don't you kick us off? Give me give me your takes on some of those items there. Yeah, I think the statement is absolutely true. 
Um, and, and look, we're, we're in a, we're, we're standing under tectonic plates in college sports that are ship shifting super rapidly. And well said, I, so I, I, I wonder how much that will to think of a big picture currently. Yes. It appears the sec is running laps on the rest of, of college baseball as a collective, right? There are individual examples you could point to of programs that are on that level, but as a collective, um, they are doing that. I do wonder, you know, as we continue to consolidate, you know, um, the as the Pac-12, let's let's say dissolves. As, as we record this, it's still very much in limbo what the four leftover teams are going to do. We've talked about that. We don't need to relitigate. But let's say that the Big Ten gets even bigger or the ACC is sniffing around like those leagues get even bigger. As things consolidate, you know, the Big Ten is going to have a whole bunch of money to blow and they have not really prioritized baseball as a as a group. But you know, UCLA loves baseball. USC historically loves baseball. Do they use an over? They've never had this kind of money in the Pac-12, right? They had good yeah. money in the Pac-12, but never this kind of money. Um, does some of that trickle down? Are they able to shift the balance back a little bit? Um, does a reconstituted Big 12 with Arizona and Arizona State, two programs that really care about baseball, um, does that trickle down? Anyway, those are those are all big picture things. So that's what I'm. I think he, he's right for this moment. Absolutely true. I, but I do wonder what it looks like three or four years from now once the disparity in terms of money um, – well, I can't even say disparity. Once the money is more consolidated than it has been now. The other thing is you mentioned Terry Rooney's new role and bringing in Nate Yeski, and that's just that other programs are doing these kinds of things, but it just kind of goes to show that this is kind of the new arms race in college baseball. How are you, how are you using your personnel, your coaching personnel? You know, it started with – you know, everybody's had assistant coaches or uh, volunteer coaches in a, in a previous era. And thankfully that's done, but then you'd add, okay, you've got development guys and you've got a guy who's just in charge of your analytics. Right. And uh, this is kind of where we're at in college baseball, where this is a place you can only build so many new stadiums, right? You only need mm -hmm. one. And once it's up to date, what else do you do there? Okay. You can build out some other infrastructure, but this goes back to the point I made a second ago, the, the sec is firing a money cannon at its programs and the money's got to go somewhere. And right now, one of yeah. you, you can't just give it all to the players, right? As great as that would be. Um, you can't build two stadiums. You don't need that. Um, you know, okay. You could build it on sports staff. And, and right now it kind of feels like that is a little bit of an untapped market that we're starting to see get tapped more and more in terms of, of roles like the one Terry Rooney's going to, going to hold. Yep. Go ahead. Karen. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's really interesting. I kind of think back to, I think it was about three years ago, four years ago, I remember being at the SEC tournament and like when Vanderbilt played, I mean, they literally had like three or four people on computers in the press box. And I remember at the time, like, it was like, man, that's like unheard of. Like, I don't think I've ever seen this before. And now like what Vanderbilt did then is like the norm, like the bigger schools with money all have those kind of people. And if they're not sitting in the press box at the game, they're probably at a hotel. They're probably, you know, in the clubhouse, crunching the same numbers, going through the same scenarios and, you know, helping coaches make educated decisions throughout a tournament or throughout the weekend. So it's just really interesting to see the evolution of college baseball. Cause I still think about that now, like, you know, everybody kind of looking back, like, well, that's kind of weird. Like I've never seen that before. And now that's kind of become the norm. Um, you know, the thing that's interesting to me, we look at the SEC versus other conferences is it will depend on what the, the cultural balance looks like around college sports. I mean, right now, I mean, one of the biggest reasons why the SEC is dominating college baseball is because culturally they care way more than everybody else about college baseball. I mean, you can look at the ACC and there's, there's, you know, programs like Florida state, UNC, Clemson, et cetera, but, or in Miami, but like at the end of the day, they, those, those, those fan bases maybe outside of Clemson and Florida state don't really care about college baseball as much as a lot of the top tier SEC schools. And so until that cultural divide changes, I don't think that's going to change. I think that's the first thing that we'll have to change is that cultural divide. The other, the other part I think has already changed a little bit. And that's the financial part. If you look at the big 10 with the additions of USC, UCLA, et cetera, and you look at the big 12 now from a baseball standpoint, like especially the big 12, well, that's a great baseball conference, even financially speaking. So I think the finances there are actually already you know, already pretty close for some of these schools. Uh, I think the cultural divide is what what is the the most stark contrast. I just think 
when you, when you look across this league, you know, does the does the average UCF fan or does the average Cincinnati fan, does the average Michigan fan really care that much about college baseball? The answer to that is probably no. The no. SEC, Mississippi State fans, like they treated the baseball championship like it was a national championship. LSU fans, I won't say they treat baseball like football, but, I mean, it's probably about on the same level as they treat a basketball championship at LSU. So it's just, again, it's a different cultural divide. And this permeates to other parts of college athletics and college baseball too. It's the same reason we've had this, you know, moving the season back argument is like, do we actually think we move the season back that the culture of people in the Midwest will actually change? Will they wake up and go, Oh, you know what? Instead of going to watch the Lansing Lugnuts, Yeah. I'm going to go watch Michigan state baseball. I'm not so sure that happens because I'm not so sure fans up there really care that much about college baseball, because guess what? you know, they care about college hockey. And so maybe that's the sport they choose to care about during baseball season. I don't know. That's just a couple of thoughts I had on, yeah. on kind of a but, wide spectrum of things. Yeah. And I think to your point, Kendall, like the, the fan bases in the SEC are so powerful and there's such an, it, it's such an awesome thing for our sport, but they're way down the road, right? Like you're, if you're Michigan state, you're not catching those fan bases, but to your point, Kendall, like, Hey, Wake Forest has decided as an institution that baseball is mm-hmm. important, right? And Good example. and yeah, and they're they like not only were they the number one team in the country last year during during the you know the majority of the regular season, certainly the stretch run, but you know they they had a great off season again, right? Like Seaver King, Chase Burns, and you know so I think um, yeah, like that's that's very interesting how you spend how you deploy the the money cannon as you will, Joe. I love that. Expression. Yeah, you should, you have to be innovative and different. Like so. If you're if you're Wake Forest, I thought that was a perfect example. If you're Wake Forest and you know damn well that you're not going to get nine thousand people to baseball game, you're not going to you're not going to be rolling in dough from a, as a baseball program. Like do do something that someone else isn't doing. Yep. You know, have all this fancy biomechanics and pitching lab stuff. And I get it. Like all these fans, are like oh, I'm tired of hearing about the pitching lab and all this stuff. Well, I mean. You know, I kind of look at the pitching lab stuff as the same way that people talk about how great a crowd at Alex Box is. Like, it's something that Wake Forest is really proud of. It's like their identity now. So why why not? You know, sh- you know, shed a lot of light on it. Yeah. Hey, let's let, let me. I'm gonna cap this part of the LSU conversation with this. You know, like I think about the SEC, and again, like we it, it, we're. we're we have to be of two minds here. Like the SEC drives the bus in college baseball. They have helped our sport grow immeasurably. Like you, you can't even, I don't even know if you can quantify it, but at the same time, we can't let the SEC suffocate the rest of the sport. And I do worry. And I hear a lot of coaches saying that, Hey, mid majors are getting worse. You know, like the, the gap is growing. And, and what spooks me is I think about in, I'm going to, I hope that this doesn't come off as me taking a shot at softball, but like in 2019, all 13 softball programs made the NCAA tournament. I don't want to go there. Like that feels very uncomfortable to me. It almost feels like it makes your sport feel lesser when like, cause think about that. Like in the SEC that year, they didn't have to play conference games. Like the non-conference games meant more than finishing 13th out of 13 in your league. So I just don't want to go there. I'm not saying we're going there, but that's the, that's the fear that I'm operating under is that, like, hey, this one league is so powerful and so much better yeah. than everyone else's that they just get a pass. So let, let's just talk about LSU for a second because they're, you know, like they are in fuego right now. Um, you know, I, I was thinking, I, I wrote this note, boys. Is LSU baseball the next Alabama football? And, you know, Nick Saban had a stretch there where he went to the national championship game in football six out of seven years. He's won six uh, national championships in football in 12 seasons. And so I just, I, I, I view Jay Johnson in that light where he is like, he's so dynamic. He's so bright. He's got this program absolutely humming. I mean, the LSU baseball program is in fifth gear with no signs of slowing down. And so that, and, and I look at these classes, right? Like this transfer class that you can find on our website I mean, Michael Braswell, Justin Lohr from Xavier, Gage Jump from UCLA, Cade Woods and Luke Holman from Alabama, Mac Bingham from Arizona. Like, I think I can make an argument that's the best transfer class in the country. And then I look at their freshman class. 
Cam Johnson, the six-five lefty from Florida, or I, I think he – I can't remember where he's from originally. He went to IMG Academy. This is a six-five lefty who's going to be the highest-ranked by PBR freshman on campus next year. They lost one recruit to the draft. I mean, they're going to be loaded. And so I guess, you know, that's the take I'm looking for for you guys. Like, is LSU – hey, Skip Bertman won five national titles in 10 years – but is, are, are we getting ready for another wave of LSU dominance in baseball? I, I would say no. And, I, and, and by dominance, I say like them getting to Omaha every other year and finishing in the top two or three in the SEC every single year. I say no, and that's because I think baseball can be very fragile. Mm, I mean, point. let's look at Ole Miss, for example. You know, Hunter Elliott was like the – the cat's meow, like he was the guy that everybody's looking forward to an Ole Miss's team. He goes down, and it changes the entire complexion of that 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 whole program last year. I mean, it's not like their offense was bad; their offense was loaded. But without Hunter Elliott at the front of that rotation, the complexion of that team was totally different. You look back at A and M last year; you know they had a you know they had some injuries on the mound that changed who they were as a team. You know, all of a sudden. Their pitching staff, which you know, would, would Palish and those guys two years ago, that was that was a good staff. All of a sudden, they really struggled on the mound. So I just think baseball. I think football. If you accumulate five stars after five stars in football, like it's like plug and chug, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like baseball, like you're not you're not losing a Hunter Elliott or you're not losing a you know Paul Skeens or Grant Taylor and just plugging and chugging. Like that's just not the way it works. Yep. Go ahead, Joe. I'll agree with Kendall's larger point. Um, I think the answer is no, just from a results standpoint, right? I just, I think we're, we're beyond a point in college baseball where any one team can do the 1970s USC thing, right? I think we're past that point. However, I will entertain your, your premise of LSU being, you know, Alabama football and college baseball from the standpoint of to what we've talked about here today, they are building an apparatus that, resembles the Alabama football apparatus in some ways. Now we don't have 900 analysts running around, you know, LSU baseball practices the way, you know, every fired head coach goes to Alabama football and, and goes through the, the Nick Saban school for, for wayward coaches. Um, so it's a little bit different, but they've, they've found this new role for Terry Rooney and they've got, you know, they've, they found a way to, to, to really maximize mize him with the guys they already have. Right. Um, they clearly have a strategy when it comes to the portal. And frankly, it seems like in a lot of cases, LSU almost has right of first refusal on high end portal guys. Now, you know, Braden Montgomery didn't go there. Billy Amick didn't go there. So they don't have a monopoly, but they're in a good position. If LSU wants a guy, they're going to make a strong push. You're going to have to really, really fight LSU for guys they want. So the results, I think, are going to be different. It's not going to be Alabama football where you can just pencil them into the playoff every year, or now Georgia football, I guess. You pencil them into the playoff every year. But I do think in terms of organization, apparatus, um, prestige, because that's the other thing, too, is that from a recruiting standpoint, um, people just know that it's right now is the time to be at LSU. LSU is where you want to be if you're a kid in prep baseball or a transfer coming in from somewhere else. Um, that, that was the Alabama prestige and recruiting 10 years ago, right. Where it was just like Alabama just gets who they want and they discard the ones they don't. Um, that that's kind of where LSU is. So in terms of the organization and, and what they're building there, I'd say the answer is yes. In terms of the results, I, I just don't think we're going to really ever get to that place again in college baseball. Yeah. To your point, Kendall, like baseball's finicky, right? Like it just takes one injury on the mound. It takes a, a weird regional weekend or a weird super regional weekend. Like that's, those are very fair points, but I, 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 it just jarring to me when I look at Jay Johnson, you know, like it is the coaches, right? Like his last three pitching coaches are Jason Kelly, Wes Johnson and Nate Yeski, right? It's like, holy heck, like this is craziness. And then, you know, Terry Rooney's a former head coach at UCF and, you know, it, it just, it's the, the talent, the, the apparatus, that's the best expression that you just used there, Joe. The apparatus is amazing. Uh, let's wrap on this. I'll just give you guys my thought. I've, I've expressed this before. So LSU's fall roster is 46 guys. I am not here to attack that. That is a very, that is an average size fall roster for the top tier of college baseball right now. Like 46 is like, that's about what you're going to see. Here's where I'm struggling with that 
truism in college baseball right now. If I took the eight teams in Omaha last year, and the, those eight teams had an average of 33 players each who had one at bat or through one inning. So like actually played at all in that season. And again, that's including kids with literally one inning and like four at bats, right? So if you think about that, if, if 46 is our standard fall roster, that means that 13 kids on that fall roster are not going to play college baseball this year. And they're, they're stuck, right? Like they can't transfer in January and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I'm real, I'll be honest with you guys, as the gap between the mid majors and the power teams is growing, I'm really struggling with that. Like some of these, you know, most of these power rosters are going to have 10 to 13 players that are just going to not play next year. That's just a lot of talent sitting on the sidelines. So you guys know where I stand. I would like to see our fall number be 40 so that we don't have to cut players in January because that's what our roster limit is in 40. I'll tell you the other counter to that or the other offset there is I really, we really need to up the amount of fall games that teams can play. Like right now I'm hearing coaches say, Hey, two fall games is more hassle than it is benefit because I have to write a lineup and people are getting offended and people are going crazy. If I had more games, I could rotate it around a little bit. And it's just part of our 45 days of the fall right now. We've turned it into like the prom uh, or, or like the pre-prom. And so anyway, I, I just, I'm, I'm just not super comfortable with our fall roster sizes because of the ramifications, the talent it drains out of our sport. And I, I think we need more than two fall contests. Softball gets six. So it's utter nonsense that we get two. Did yeah, you have a thought you there, really, Kendall? Or you, oh, go ahead, Joe. Well, uh, it also wouldn't take that much doing, right? Just sticking on the point of fall games. Like, keep them in the 45-day window. Yeah. It's not like the NCAA is having to do some sort of, like, coordination of these. Like, I've, you guys have all been to fall games. I've been to plenty of fall games. Most of the time, you just waltz on into the stadium. Yeah. You know, and like it just hap- so happens there are two teams playing a game here today. You know, it's like very low key. Concessions typically aren't, unless you, you know, there's some big ones they do, the Georgia, Florida, and Jacksonville. That's a whole different thing. Your average fall game for an average college baseball club, you're not doing concessions. You, the, the the biggest thing you're doing is unlocking the bathrooms, you know? Yep. Like, <laughs> so it, but it, it's just, it, it's just such a simple thing that could be done that I just don't think is hurting anybody. Cause the other thing is if you don't want to play them, don't play them. Like, right. I, you know, I was at a media availability a couple weeks ago with Dave Van Horn and he was like, yeah, I, I just don't think we're going to play outside competition this year. Okay. Yeah. Like who's going to argue with him? <laughs> yeah. You know, like he knows what he's doing. He decided he didn't want to do it. Yeah. You don't have but to. But that's where a smaller roster would force DVH's hand a little bit there. Like, that's what I just, I, again, I'm not accusing DVH of, or any of these coaches of anything. Like, this is just our norm in our sport right now. Yeah. But, like, what, when you go 45 guys, it makes inter-squatting more convenient. But really what we're doing is we're turning fall ball into a tryout. And, and that's fine, except for that, that phenomenon has ramifications for individual players clearly i mean getting cut in december is miserable just like getting cut in august would be but also like it drains so much talent out of our sport that's my opinion yeah no i'm, I'm with you generally I, sh- I should have said that from the jump like i i just generally and it's where look nothing's probably going to really change um so it's just you just hope the the kids understand what you're what you're getting into a little bit right and i know high level athletes um are gonna always bet on themselves and say like i'm gonna be the exception to the rule um you know, and if you're comfortable with that and that risk, great, go for it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just hope that, you know, that the kids are understanding what they're signing up for, what they're getting into, understand the risk, understand their options if they do get cut in January and what that means. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't need to give them a lesson in all this. They know it better than I do because they're in it, but just, just do your homework, just understand what you're getting into and, and chase a dream. Who am I to say you should mitigate your dreams. If you want to play at LSU and you're a kid who grew up in Denham Springs, but you're kind of a fringy prospect, you know what? If that's your dream and you're, you, you don't necessarily want to play for McNeese, no disrespect to McNeese, a very good program, but you know, um, just do that, you know, like give yep. it a shot, but understand what comes with that decision. Yep. I, I've always viewed the fall roster situation I, and I tend to agree with you here. But I've always viewed the fall roster situation the same way I kind of viewed 
uh, perfect game events when I was at PG. I remember I would have people come to me all the time. You know, these events are outrageously expensive. It's ridiculous. There's no there's no reason why they should be this this expensive. And I have no idea what they are now. I just know what they were back when I was there. And I used to always tell people, like, the market will dictate, like, how much they can charge. If, if let's say, they're charging four or 500 bucks for a showcase event and, you know, the showcase events packed, well, the market told you what they're willing to spend for a kid to go to that showcase. I kind of view the fall ball the same way or fall roster is the same way. If a parent out there has an issue with school X having 52 players on every single fall roster, it's kind of up to the market, AKA the player and the parent to basically force the hand of the school. So, you know what, I'm looking at your fall roster every year and like, we're, you know, we're going somewhere else. Like this isn't mm-hmm. going to happen. Whereas right now, like those same schools that oversign and, you know, have 50 plus guys in the roster in the fall, like they're still signing top 10 classes. So I kind of feel like nothing is going to change on that until the market decides and the market being the players and parents decide that they kind of had enough on it. Yeah. If all of a sudden they decide, hey, we're just not going to go to school there. You know, we're going to go somewhere else. Then I think things would change, but I agree with Joe. I think, I think and I can say this as a parent myself. Like I think we all kind of fall in the trap of, Oh, you know, little, little Johnny or whomever, like they're so good. It's not going to matter. They'll go there and they'll, they'll earn a spot. So it's just, you know, it's, it's a really interesting, you know, topic, but like, again, I kind of view it like I did that, the PG stuff back in the day. Like I think the market will determine whether or not you can get away with that. Or I don't say get away with that as if it's illegal, but like if you can actually, you know, have 56 guys on a fall roster, there was a team last year that 56 guys on a fall roster. Yep. It was not Arkansas, by the way, but I'm just saying there was yep. a team that had 56 guys in the roster. Which means if they made the postseason, they'd have 29 guys in yeah. street clothes in the stands. And yeah, I no think, doubt. like, like I think that's the that's the that's the tug of war there, right? Like, I'm a free market person by nature, and I don't I don't think it's fair for me to make decisions for families, but I but I also don't want to be naive to the fact that hey, we're seeing this growing gap between the power programs and the you know, the haves and the have nots and what's different now. Cause you're right. Kind of like this, this phenomenon with fall rosters has been around forever. Right. But here's what's changed now. The, 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 the haves, the power programs can go get my players. If I'm a mid major at the end of the year. Right. So it's like, yeah. not only can their bloated fall roster keep players out of my program, but then they can come get my best players at the end of the year. So it's like, I just worry about eventually we run out of oxygen for the non-privileged programs. And that concerns me because I think that's a cool part of our sport, but I don't know, like it kind of gets us back to the point we started with and we'll wrap with that. It's like, man, there's so many changing stimuli in our sport. And what was the expression you used, Joe? Tectonic plates, you know, like that's, there's so much moving at the same time right now. That we it's it's not the law of unintended consequences. It's like the law of infinite unintended consequences happening right now. Like there's just so many things changing. It's hard to say where it goes. Where, where will the market settle? But I, I guess I'm comfortable saying I'm concerned. You know, like I'm just I'm just concerned, and I just I hate that we have so many good players that the end of the fall will just be not playing college baseball next spring. That just that feels like a that feels like a whiff to me. I just don't know how to solve it, or 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 not all the way yet. So, we'll mark you say, down, Rune, as a concerned citizen. Concerned citizen, <laughs> thank you. I will not be making citizens arrest though. That's not my uh, speed, uh, not my jam. Kendall, can we wrap with this? Who do the Klein Bengals uh, uh, football team play this week? We have the Broncos this weekend. Broncos of mm. Klein also. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm liking the Broncos' chances. Uh, the team that we so the team that, the, the, the jars uh team beat over the weekend the texans by the way um they won 35 to 6 and they might have sat on the ball the whole second half so i'm not sure i'm liking the broncos chances don't don't the decline texans know that the expression texans outside of tarleton state is just a word that means embarrassing the city of houston i is that is that accurate joe is that a fair way to say that's it, it. yeah embarrassing the city of houston since 2002 oh, it was like the, so it was like the texans uh, played all their starters for like a quarter and a half against the dolphins and still got blown out like it. <laughs> 
I like it. Uh, boys, let's wrap with this. So, hey, uh, right now, Kendall, is it 35% off right now if you get an annual sub? Until the, end of, until the end of August, because I'll tell you what, once we start September 1, we start cranking out notebooks, fall reports, uh, subscriptions are going to be coming in like hotcakes. So if you do that, you're not going to get 35% off. But if you so do, say, now, so do you, you type in save 35 to get 35% August off? 30, or August 35. August 35. August 35. Real creative name percent off. code. Well done. I like it. Keep it simple. Make it easy to remember. Joe's Joe to pay. Joe's to pay 40 will get you 40% off. Yes. And if you type in Gamp Pellegrini when you check out, I know something good will happen. The great Gasperi Gamp Pellegrini. You were not kidding, Runes. I Googled Gamp Pellegrini. That is an awful toupee. Oh, it's he, it just disgraceful. Hold on. I'm gonna do that while we're on here. Joe, hold on. Joe, he was the greatest. Like I I he, I played again, I played high school football for him. It was a dynasty. We all would have run through a wall from him. He was the most incredible guy. Like just an awesome coach. Uh I I you, you just felt I felt privileged to have played for the great Gamp Pellegrini. So again, type in August 35, type in Gamp Pellegrini. You'll get 35% <laughs> off until August 31st. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe. Um, uh, and that's it, everybody. It was great. It was a great chat. Good chat. Good, good, uh, good little chalk talk right there. So uh, that is it. Have a great week, and we will catch you next time on the D1 Baseball Podcast. The D1 Baseball Podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.